What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. We are continuing our Puncher's Chance team series. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we talked with Grayson Weir from Outkick the Coverage to talk about Ole Miss. And uh, we both highly recommend that you go back and listen to that episode if you have not yet. It was a ton of fun talking to him, learning more about the program. Um, so if you didn't listen last week, in this series, we're going to attempt to talk to someone around each of the program programs we hit on in the episode a little while back about to tell us why each team should be better this upcoming season. Tonight we have John Clay from the Lexington Herald Ledger on to talk with us about Kentucky football. Um, pretty excited about that. I mean, it's um, I know I'm probably going to say this again here in a minute, but with this being the episode coming out on July 4th, if we're going to talk about a team that's not Georgia on July 4th, it's got to be Kentucky, the home of America's spirit. You know, yeah. bourbon, bourbon is quite literally, according to the U.S. government, America's distilled spirit. So, you know, it makes sense there. Um, nice. But before we get into all of that, how was your weekend and what are you drinking? Weekend was good as uh, usual. You know, only have a few weeks left of summer break. Uh, Saturday we had a our Fourth of July party in the neighborhood, and uh, I thought I can drink like I was twenty again, <laughs> and <laughs> shit was rough. <laughs> um, uh, you know, yesterday and then the beginning part of today, but you know, it's all good now. Uh, as far as what I'm drinking, uh, not alcohol. That's for damn sure. I got some uh, power. <laughs> Uh, trying to rehydrate. Uh, I don't have the uh, Pedia uh, light quite yet because Skyla's not drinking that, but uh, trying to get some electrolytes back. Yeah, I I always say it. Uh, the best beer is free beer, and the second mm -hmm. best beer is cold beer. So, mm -hmm. well, not both of those. It's yeah. It's well, I, and, and I fucked up too because I I didn't realize that they're going to have actual free beer there, and I brought uh, the bottle of Southern Comfort that I was talking about. You know, the last couple episodes with me, so I drank like half of that and then had like eight or nine more beers so it was tough but yeah. i'm back i'm good i'm feeling all right now how about you yeah so um on saturday we went out to uh met some friends for a little concert out at starlin yard in savannah which is right next it's pretty much the same building as two tides brewing if you visit savannah highly recommend going there it's a real cool place um but one of my friends loves to just give me beer. It's um, nice. a good friend. I don't really drink a lot of beer, but every time he goes and gets one, he brings me one, which is great because like I said, the best beer is free beer. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how you easily get into trouble. So we ended up staying there pretty much until they closed. And then I got a couple of liquor drinks towards the end of the night. And I was, uh, pretty lit as well for someone that has not really drank in the last six weeks very much. Um, mm. But tonight, doing a little bit of a whiskey history deep dive for those of you that don't know this information, because I would say a vast majority of people don't. Um, I have a Booker's bottle over here next to me, and this is the 2020 number three batch. It is 127.3 proof. Um, so it is pretty strong, uh, but this is called the pigskin batch. So Booker No, master distiller at um, Jim Beam for a very long time. Jim Beam, they make Knob Creek, Booker's, a ton of other whiskeys that a lot of people, if you're not real into it, don't know about. Um, but Booker No, who this is named after, actually played football at Kentucky under Bear Bryant until he was kicked off the team for uh, attitude issues, that makes that makes too much sense, and he goes and uh, makes that okay. Well, the uh, the Jim Beam Distillery. Well, there's a lot of distilleries in Kentucky that are related to the Jim Beam family. Um, but his mother's last name, maiden name, was Beam, so mm -hmm. it's okay. it was a family thing. Um, 
just real cool piece of whiskey history right there as far as that goes. Um, like Y'all know I'm a nerd by now. I love history and whiskey and football, and this is all three wrapped in one little short story. So Stars aligned perfectly uh, this week. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, but we will be right back with John, like not me, to – talk about some Kentucky football. So like I said, we'll be right back. And we welcome a very special guest tonight, and that is John Clay of the Lexington Herald Leader or Kentucky.com. You can get it either way. Um, John, can you tell the le- listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm from, I'm from, uh, I'm a Kentuckian born and bred. I'm from central Kentucky, went to the university of Kentucky uh, studied journalism there, was lucky enough to get on at the Herald Leader really before I was out of school. Uh, I covered UK football from uh, day-to-day beat from 1987 up to 2000. I got the columnist job in 2000. I've been the columnist uh, ever since then. Uh, we have two sports columnists at the paper, March Story and myself. And uh, like I said, uh, I write on a variety of subjects, but mainly right on Kentucky basketball and Kentucky football is that uh, those are the two subjects that my readers are most interested in. What part of central Kentucky do you live in? I grew up, well, I was born in Paris and uh, grew up on a farm out in Clark County, right on the Paris, Winchester, Clark County, Bourbon County line. It's about 20 miles from uh, Lexington. I grew up just down the road from Claiborne farm where secretariat was uh, stood as a stallion uh, for many years. So I, I come from horse country, but, uh, uh, my dad was a season ticket holder for UK football from 1952, all the way up into the two thousands. Uh, obviously followed UK basketball from a young age as well. I mean, you can't grow up in Kentucky and not follow Kentucky basketball. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a Kentucky and, uh, from, right from the beginning. Yeah. My mother-in-law was uh, born and raised in uh, Pikeville. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, she she grew up a big UK fan, so there you go. Yeah, that's right. As they say here, you know, Kentucky fans stretch from Paducah to Pikeville. You go down to Pikeville, the heart of Eastern Kentucky. Down there, great, uh, great town, and a huge amount, huge number of Kentucky fans down there. Yeah, I actually lived in uh, Metcalf County for a little while while I was growing up. Okay, okay, so there you go. South Central, way down there, where right. there's hardly right. any people. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with. I've been to Metcalf County before. Did you see anybody? No, I, <laughs> not, not anybody that I knew personally. No. <laughs> so, how did you get into journalism? What made you want to uh, pursue this as a career? Well, I mean, I you know I always loved sports, uh, like the writing and the journalism end of it, and kind of combined the two. I mean, that's I was pretty lucky from a fairly young age. I knew what I wanted to do, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. My friends, uh, a lot of my friends kid me that I don't have a real job, and a lot of that's true. I mean, I get to go to games, write about games, write about subjects that I'm I'm interested in. Uh, so, you know, it's a good way to combine the two of a love of sports and, and uh, an interest in writing. So I've been able to do that. The one thing I will say is that my job has changed a lot over the years, which is probably good since I've been in the same place for so long. I mean, the job that I have now is a lot different than the job that I had when I started out back in the 80s. Uh, you know, we do video, podcasts, you know, uh, tweet, uh, you name it, we do it online. So that part, you know, there's a lot of different skills that I had to learn over the years that I certainly didn't start out with. And obviously, journalism has changed a lot with the you know websites, podcasts like you guys. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different, a lot of different, really, I mean, it's great for the fan. There's a lot of different ways for the fan to get their information, not just from newspapers. Uh, but uh, we like to think anyway here in Kentucky that, you know, people still look to Kentucky.com and the Arrow Leader to get their information on Kentucky football and basketball. We may not be first in getting you that information, but we feel like that when we give you that information, that it is right, it's correct. We're not going to throw out a lot of rumors and so forth. Not that there isn't a place for that and some other websites, but that's not what we do. So uh, uh, it's changed a lot over the years, but for me, that's good. That's kept it interesting. Yeah, that's absolutely. Sure. So, all right, so let's go ahead and get started uh, talking about some Kentucky football here. So starting with the offense, how excited are Kentucky fans to have Liam Cohen back on the staff? 
they're they're very excited. I mean, you know, two years ago when Liam came in, Eddie Grant had been the offensive coordinator and actually done a good job, but they got to be too run heavy. They had a hard time throwing the ball. They were imbalanced. Uh, Mark Stoops wants to run the ball, but he wanted to have more of a balanced attack. So he went to the NFL. He got Liam Cohen in from the Rams, who at that time was an assistant quarterbacks coach with the Rams. He came in, was the play caller two years ago. They ended up going 10-3. and three. Will Levis's first-year quarterback. They also had uh, uh, Wandale Robinson, who was also a big part of that offense, obviously. Went on to be a second-round choice, of the second-round draft choice of the New York Giants. Then Liam went back to the Rams as offensive coordinator under Sean McVay. They hired Rich Sawansky, excuse me, not Rich Sawansky, Rich Gangarello, uh, who was the uh, uh, had been the quarterbacks coach for the 49ers. So it's in basically that same kind of offense, that Sean McVay offense, uh, the Kyle Shanahan offense that Sean McVay had learned from Kyle Shanahan, but it didn't quite work out with Rich Gangarello. It wasn't all his fault. The offensive line had some troubles. Will Levis was banged up for most of the year, but things never really clicked. So uh, they had a chance to get Liam and bring Liam back. So Mark Stoops made the move to bring Liam back. Yeah, people are very fired up about uh, Liam Cohen coming back based on what he was able to do two years ago. So I was personally very high on uh, the Kentucky Wildcats potential last season. Um, I mean, with all the returning talent with C-Rod, Levis all coming back. But it really seemed like the offensive line held them back from reaching that full potential. C-Rod obviously being suspended and then Levis getting hurt fairly early in the season. But with most of that line returning, how much does it improve going into the season? Well, that's a big question, and it definitely has to improve. I mean, you're exactly right. I think the offensive line uh, played a big role in holding the offense back. They had some injuries, but they had some guys who played in different positions. They never really quite meshed. I mean, they did lose uh, two NFL draft picks up the, from the season before. They had a third guy who was in an NFL camp. So they had, to, you know, they had some big shoes to fill. Uh, they should be better this coming year. They made a couple of changes, moved Jagger Burton from offensive guard to center. Moved Eli Cox, who was center last year after being a guard, moved him back to guard. Kenneth Torsi, who had to play tackle last year because of they didn't have anybody else to play tackle. Basically, he's back at guard, who it's more natural position. They brought in a couple of transfers from the transfer portal that they, uh, Marcus Cox and uh, Corlin Ford out of USC, they think I think will end up being the tackles. Uh, so those guys, Jeremy Strick is the other tackle, has some experience from last year, which should help them. But they feel like the offensive line should be better. Zach Enter is the uh, second year in his uh, in his second year as offensive line coach, so they do have some continuity there. I mean, we'll see how all that translates over the field onto the field. But on paper, it looks like it will be a better offensive line than it was the year before. They also got a little more depth, which was uh, something they didn't have a whole lot of last year. So uh, the offensive line has to improve this year, and I feel like after the spring, I think they feel like they're pretty confident that it will be an improved offensive line. Okay. So the line came in at 127th in uh, FBS and sacks allowed with 47 last year. Uh, and you kind of already talked about this a little bit already, but do you think that the line will be able to protect uh, Devin Leary a little bit better than they did Levis last season? Part of that too last year was not all on the offensive line's fault, that sack total. Will Levis held onto the ball too long. Part of it, I think, was that uh, Rich Gangarello, when he came in, he made it pretty clear from the start. He did not want Will Levis running the ball a lot. He wanted to protect him. They didn't really have a second. They did not really have a backup quarterback. They're kind of in the same boat uh, going into this year as well with Devin Leary. Uh, he didn't want him running. He ran more both in design runs and in scrambles the year before for Liam Cohen. Scangarello didn't want him to do that. So a lot of times he held on to the ball too long. His pocket presence was not the best last year. And also he was hurt. He had a foot injury, so they kept him from running as well. Um, so, you know, Devin Leary, in watching him at North Carolina State, we got to see him a couple of times during the spring. You know, he he's not the – you know, he doesn't have the same arm strength or quite the athletic ability of Will Levis, but he seems to be a more precision passer. I look for him to be more of a uh, – uh, you know, quicker reads, get the ball out quickly. It was funny when Liam Cohen came here from the Rams, the first time we talked to him, which was on a Zoom uh, when he was still in Los Angeles, he'd just gotten a job. And somebody asked Liam, what do you look for in a quarterback? He said, I want a point guard. I want somebody who's going to distribute the ball. And I think that's going to be Devin Leary's role. So mm -hmm. I, I look for him not to, for him to get rid of the ball quicker, not hold on to it so long. So not just do – I mean, the offensive line I think will be improved, but I think that sack toe will be improved too, just the difference between Leary and Levis at quarterback. 
So Ray Davis, who was a thousand yard rusher at Vanderbilt last season, transferring to Kentucky is arguably one of the most underrated transfers from this past year in the SEC, in my opinion, at least. Um, do you think he's able to fill the void of both Cavassier Smoke and Chris Rodriguez leaving? Yeah, I think he, I mean, on paper, uh, he should be. I mean, he's an experienced guy, played in the SEC. As you said, he was a thousand yard rusher. I'm looking back here. I want to get this exactly right. He had against Kentucky, they Vandy beat Kentucky last year. He had 129 yards on 26 carries and a touchdown. So, and he's that same type of runner. He's not a real big back, but he's stout. He can run, uh, you know, run easily run between the tackles. They've got some other guys, Juton McClain, who's a good receiver out of the backfield. The guy that got hurt in the first game last year, a transfer from Sam Houston State, Ramon Jefferson. He's he can also catch the ball out of the backfield. We didn't get to see him last year, but he's back this year. Provided he's healthy, I think he'll play a role as well. Uh, but I, but I think Davis on paper anyway, he looked good in the spring. He should be able to step in there. I'm not saying he he's quite the back that Chris Rodriguez is. But I think he's an able replacement uh, for uh, you know for Chris in the backfield. I think they they will also run the ball a little differently than they did last year. When Liam came in two years ago, he wanted to go to more of a wide zone type running game. Uh, it didn't really work out. They kind of shelved that early on. Decided to go more straight ahead what they had done before under Eddie Grant with Chris Rodriguez. I think they stuck to a lot of that last year under Rich. But I think Rich Gangarello. But I think Liam would like to get back to being more of a you know, playing more of that wide zone type running game. So I think they'll run the ball a little differently as well, uh, as well as having some different personnel back there. And this isn't in, in our, our outline at all, but how much does uh, Coach Stoops rely on the on the transfer portal? Like last week we talked to somebody from Ole Miss and like that's pretty much like Lane Kiffin's whole plan was to, you know, raid the transfer portal and all that. But how much does uh, Coach Stoops, uh, like what what's his ideal amount of transfers that he would, um, allow into the, the program? Uh, I mean, he'll take about as many as he can get to fill holes. He's about seven or eight the last couple of years, I think, uh, last year. And I think this year, maybe even more can play roles. Like I said, you know, you got Will Levis came in. He was a transfer from Penn State from the transfer portal. Obviously, was huge the last couple of years. This year, you got Devin Leary from North Carolina State, a quarterback, as you mentioned, Ray Davis, running back from Vandy. As I mentioned, they got a couple of guys on the offensive line. Marcus Cox had one tackle from Northern Illinois. Looks like for sure he's going to be a starter. They've got some uh, guys on the on defense, especially in the secondary, that they think will help them. Uh, just as they've gotten some people in the back, Kadrian Smith from Ole Miss. Uh, was a big help to him last year. Uh, Jacquez Jones was a linebacker from Ole Miss. So he was a starter the last couple of years. Uh, they got some guys that have come in on the defense as well Who this year who from the transfer portal that they feel like can help out. So the transfer portal has been huge. They've also done a really good job of, of evaluating guys that they thought would fit into the program. Uh, I mentioned Wondell Robinson earlier, but he kind of felt he didn't fall into their lap, but he was a local kid that they recruited really hard the first time, but he ended up going to Nebraska and he got a little, they had a coaching chain, had some problems in Nebraska, and he came back. So that, you know, that helped them. One of the smart things Stoops did there was when they lost Robinson to Nebraska, and that was a big loss because he was a very highly touted guy. He, he you know, he, he didn't, you know, complain about it, told Robinson, you know, we'll support you, you know, uh, and then he ended up, you know, kind of boomeranging back to Kentucky. But, uh, but back to your question, the transfer portal has been huge for Kentucky, especially with depth, especially in guys that they've been able to bring in to play key roles. And I, I expect the same thing this year. So going back to running back for just a moment, of those guys that you talked about, is there a clear-cut number two back on the season? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think Jutama McClain will play a bigger role with uh, with the Liam coming back because he can't catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do some different things. But I'm not sure he's that foundation back that you want running the ball 20, 25 times. Uh, whether they have a guy like that, that remains to be seen. Uh, we'll see how that works out. So to answer your question, I'm not sure that they have a clear number two. I think it's going to be by if, – if something should happen to Ray Davis – I think it would be more like running back by committee. Uh, they would try to replace him that way. All right. So the SEC has turned into a premier conference for wide receivers, especially the last, you know, five, 10, 15 years, even going back that far. But with how much talent uh, so many teams have at that position, and Kentucky is really no different. What kind of steps or what kind of steps are guys like Marion Brown, Dane Key, and uh, Tavion Robinson able to take with the new quarterback and Liam Combs offense? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's a big question. I think, obviously, you know, both those guys, Dan Key and Baron Brown, showed a lot of potential last year as true freshmen. Uh, you know, they uh, – it, it's slightly different with Liam Cohen, but as you mentioned, like the uh, new quarterback with – with Devin Leary, they're looking. They're looking for them to make a big step. I think there was a little bit. I don't concern is not the right word, but I think during the spring, uh, you know, they kind of got into a situation where they were afraid over the off season they were going to lose those guys in the transfer portal. So you know, you got a situation where you're a coach and you're telling the guys, you know, we love you, we want you to stay, we think you can be a great talent, and then you get them out there on the practice field and you're you got to practice them hard too. So you got to make sure that they, you know, they keep their egos in check. And I think Liam will do a good job, you know, with that. Tavion Robinson is a really interesting guy. He came from Virginia Tech. Uh, he had the same last name as Wandale Robinson. I think a lot of people thought, okay, here's another Wandale Robinson. It didn't turn out to be that way. I think people were frustrated, including Tavion. There was some talk late in the year that he was going to leave. He was not going to come back for another year. But he was recruited by Liam Cohen the first time around before Liam left to go back to the Rams. So he stuck around. I think a lot of people think he'll be a much improved player this year and be much more of a factor than he was last year. But they've got a uh, they've got a strong you know uh, receiving core. They need to build some more depth there. Had a little problem during the spring. Decal, just recently, Dekel Crowdis, who's a local kid who had a knee injury early on, but was starting to get healthy and come back. He got a DUI here recently, so his status on the team is a little you know, is up in the air. I think the other position that's going to be improved is tight end. And talking about the receivers, they got some guys back there that they really like. Josh Caddis, who played a lot as a true freshman last year in Cincinnati, is back. Um, They're looking for a big year out of him. Overall, I think they feel like they feel good about the receivers, especially, as you mentioned, with the way uh, Dane Key and Barry and Brown played last year. But they're looking for him to make that next step. The other thing, too, Liam Cohen's made the point to both of those, these defensive coordinators in the SEC, they've had now they've had a whole summer to look at these guys on tape. They may be better to defend them, have a better uh, strategy to defend those guys next year. So those guys are going to have to adjust to that. Yeah, Barry on Brown yeah. killed Georgia in that game. So <laughs> that did Dan Key. Year. I was about to say yeah. it. It was <laughs> every time you turn around, one of those guys was getting a 15, 20-yard catch. It was infuriating. I mean, Keely Ringo got just obliterated that game and still was able to get drafted. So we were happy about that, but, <laughs> but we, I mean, we were talking about it before you came on that we think that uh, Kentucky's wide receiver room. I mean, if it's not, it's definitely in the conversation to be one of the top ones in the sec. I mean, definitely top three, I think without question. Yeah, it certainly has that potential uh, with both those guys. I mean, Brown's a speech. I think uh, one of the things that Liam made the uh, comment in the spring is that you know we they need to be more refined. They need to be learn more a little more about route running and so forth. But certainly, they both those guys have the potential, I think, to be NFL receivers down the lo- down the road. And a big thing that I, you know we're going to get to it here in a second. But in my opinion, you can have you know a bunch of five star wide receivers, but if you don't have the right quarterback to throw them the ball, it doesn't do any good. I mean, my first example would be Alabama this year. Like, they still have no idea who their quarterback's going to be, and none of the guys really looked good in uh, either their time last year in the spring game. So the wide receivers aren't going to be able to live up to that talent, and we're right about to get to it right here. But Devin Leary is the perfect guy to get the best out of these guys based on his decision-making and every other thing you can talk about that we've seen from NC State. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think Leary's obviously, you know, a lot of people rank him as the number one quarterback in the transfer portal, and to be able to get him, uh, got to keep him healthy. He's had some problems staying healthy. I know uh, over the years at North Carolina State, and as we talked before, he's playing against uh, playing behind an offensive line that had their troubles last year, but it's kind of been revamped for this year. But in what, I mean, we didn't get to see a whole lot of him in the spring. Like I said, we there were a couple of open practices we were able to see. Kentucky did not have a spring game because they were putting in new turf at Kroger Field. So we didn't get to see that. But from what we saw, he's more of a precision passer. Uh, he's that, you know, throw the football in a mailbox type of quarterback. You know, uh, he, he's not afraid of throwing it against tighter windows. Uh, but, uh, and like I said earlier, I think Liam Cohen will devise an offense for maybe quicker throws. But they also want to take advantage of the deep throws with those speed that uh, especially a guy like Barry and Brown has. But I, I, I think you're right. I think uh, Leary potentially is the perfect type of quarterback to bring those receivers along to the next step. 
So our listeners know how we do things at this point, talking football, but we leave all the quarterback talk for the end of the offense, try and keep everybody hanging on. Um, so Devin Leary, we all know how good he is at this point based on what he did at NC State. But what is a fair projection for this offense with Devin Leary if he's able to stay healthy this season? Uh, well, I mean, I, they should be much approved over last year. I don't have it in front of me, but they were way down in uh, total offense rankings, points per game and rankings. I expect that to improve. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he's got good weapons around him at wide receiver. He's got a potential replacement for Chris Rodriguez and Ray Davis in the backfield. It all comes back to the offensive line. How well they be able to run block, how well they're able to protect, protect Leary. But I think Leary gives them a lot of hope. Uh, that they were able to replace him. Like I said earlier, they didn't really have a replacement for Will Levis on the roster. Uh, their second-string quarterback position is still up in the air, even coming out of spring of what they're going to do. They started a true freshman in the bowl game at Desiree out of Nashville, and he threw a couple of pick sixes in that game because uh, Levis didn't play because he was trying to get healthy for the draft, and they end up losing 21 to nothing. So I don't think they want to get in a situation you know, like that again. When they started against South Carolina, uh, you know, Levis was hurt. They had to go with a backup in that game, and they lost at home to South Carolina. So, uh, but yeah, I think Leary definitely elevates them. I feel like I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that they can have the chance to be the best offense in the SEC. FCC is an off, awfully competitive league, but I think certainly they have a chance to be in the top half, maybe in the top quarter of offenses if everything goes right and people stay healthy. So, uh, given all the weapons on offense. If if both Levis, Will Levis and uh, Devin Leary were on the team and they're both competing for this job, uh, who would have a, a better year? Uh, or well, who I should say, who would start or who would have a better year? Both of them are on, actually on the team in twenty twenty three. If they were both on the roster right now, uh, yeah. probably Will from the standpoint that we've already had two years uh, mm-hmm. in the offense. If they were both starting out, you know, fresh, uh, you know, their first years, they both had transferred at the same time. That's a good question. Uh, you know, and just watching him, uh, Will's obviously got more of the traits. I mean, you look, that's pretty much what the NFL drafted him on. He's got those quarterback traits. He's a big, strong kid, strong arm, can really drive the ball. He's everything you look for from a traits perspective. Not the most accurate quarterback. He still needs some work on accuracy, like I mentioned earlier, that pocket presence. I haven't seen enough of Leary, especially at Kentucky, to make judgments on that. I think, uh, I mean, we made the judgment early on that he's a more accurate passer, at least uh uh, right up the bat than Levis. Uh, so that would be interesting to see with Liam. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, Liam Cohen said from the start, he wanted a point guard as his quarterback. Larry seems more to fit that bill where Levis seems more of the guy who's got, you know, a big upside with all the athletic ability and the strong arm. So that, that would be, an, that would be interesting uh, to see who uh, Liam Cohen would go with. Yeah. That's one, that's one thing that we, we talked about uh, on the podcast uh, quite a bit, like, or in uh, group chats and all that is we were we were kind of surprised at how how much like hype Will Levis was getting. Obviously, like you said, he has all the measurables, like he, you know, that you know, off the chart stuff, kind of like kind of kind of like Anthony Richardson, except Will Levis actually, I think, played way better in college. But um did you even even last year, the year before, like did you see him as like a day one pick? Yeah, no, not I mean, even in his first year, I thought, okay, this guy's going to be he he's got real he's got the potential to be drafted. Mm-hmm. I was surprised, like pretty much everybody else, went after the season, and you start seeing these mock drafts and start. I listen to a lot of I'm a big NFL guy, so I listen to a lot of the po- podcasts and the draft experts. And when they start talking about Levis up high, but I could you know, and even as a first day pick, I was a little surprised except from the standpoint that you can see it and what they look for. He's got everything they look for. Also, he's, he was a really good leader on this team. He came in from day one. You, I know some NFL teams apparently in their uh, interviews with Will thought, thought he was a little bit too cocky, a little bit too sure of himself. But the way he came in, the way Kentucky needed a quarterback, he kind of, you know, he was kind of the perfect fit when he, he kind of took over right away that, hey, I'm going to be the leader leader of this team. That's the I'm not going to shy away from that. That's what I want to be. So, you know, he struggled. There's no doubt about it. He struggled last year. I think there were some some mitigating factors there. As we mentioned, the offensive line, he was hurt. He didn't, whether it was because Rich Gangarella didn't want him to run or physically he wasn't able to run. Uh, they kind of took that out of his arsenal. So uh, a lot of, and, and, but he still, even with that out of his arsenal, he still needs to develop more of a pocket presence. Liam, when we talked to Liam last year, we said, what, what are you telling me when he first came back? We said, what? That was about the time that uh, 
NFL scouts, you know, we're kind of honing in on uh, everybody's getting their draft boards. We said, Liam, I'm sure, you know, NFL people are talking to you. What are you telling them about Will Levis? And he said, I tell him the same thing. His best football is ahead of him. And he basically said the same thing. He's got, you know, he, he's shown flashes. He need, does need to be more consistent. But if he puts it all together, he could be a heck of an NFL quarterback. So, you know, I think the, the jury's out. I think Will Levis could turn out to be a uh, real bargain for the Titans to get him early in the second round, or he might be just, or he might be that guy who's got the physical trace but can't quite put it all together. One thing I do think he has in his favor, he's been in NFL offenses the last two years, and not exactly the same NFL offense because Rich Gangarello ran a little different offense than than Liam Cohen ran. So I don't think he's going to have any problem, you know, ad- adapting to an NFL playbook. He's already seen it before, and I think that's a, a point in his favor. Definitely. So I think we're going to shift gears and move over to the defensive side of the ball. And this isn't really a question, but more of just praising what the team was able to do defensively last year with a schedule that had four top 40 offenses in it. Uh, I mean, the defense really led the team after Will Levis got injured 12th in total defense, seventh in passing defense, 49th in rushing defense. And that's with, three, I believe, two or three freshmen or sophomore on that defensive line. So, I mean, that's just extremely impressive what they were able to do on that side of the ball. Um, And I didn't really understand how much of the defense moved on to the NFL until we were doing the research this past week. You know, it seemed like every position it was like, oh, well, there's two guys that moved on. Oh, there's another two guys that moved on. Yeah, they got some holes to fill on defense. So one thing that definitely in their favor – is well, two things really. I mean, obviously, Mark Stoops is a defensive minded coach. He was a defensive coordinator pretty much throughout his whole career before he came to Kentucky. And then Brad White is our defensive coordinator. He's done a tremendous job since he was bumped up to the defensive coordinator when Matt House left to go. Uh, now the now the defensive coordinator at LSU when he left to go back to the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. Brad's done a great job. He did a great job last year. Uh, last year with this team, as you mentioned, they didn't get a whole lot of help from the offense, but the defense. You know, played tough all uh, all year. Uh, they do have some guys to replace. They lost some guy, a couple of guys in the transfer portal that they have to replace. They did use the transfer portal to bring in some guys, uh, and they've got some young guys that they are high on. They they just don't have a whole lot a whole lot of experience going into this year, so they're going to have to come through. Uh, but uh, you know, there are some question marks on defense. There's no doubt about that going into this season. And for those of like those that that missed out on it, just to speak on how good that defense was last year, Georgia's offense was by all accounts like the best offense in school history. That game was sixteen to six. It was only a ten point win. Like sixteen points for this offense. Uh, That's typically the first most... five minutes of the game for Georgia last yeah. year, and that was four quarters. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, the weather was bad, but it wasn't that bad. That was. <laughs> A phenomenal yeah. job by the Kentucky defense. Mm-hmm. And, and Kentucky fans and uh, and even coaches and so forth, I think the players have brought that up. They'll look, we held Georgia. We didn't beat Georgia, but we held them 16 points. Look what they did before and after that, especially when you yeah. look at what they did in the champ in the championship game, in the college football playoff championship game. Kentucky hasn't been able to beat Georgia. Mark Stoops is uh, over against Georgia since he came here, but he has played them tough some years, especially – on the defensive side of the ball, he's good friends with Kirby Smart. He's talked before about how much he really likes Kirby and what a phenomenal job as Kirby has done there. He hasn't been able to beat him, but they, at least they've been competitive in some games. And they were they were fairly – I never thought Kentucky was going to win the game last year, but to hold them to 16 points was an accomplishment for sure. And sure. and Kentucky was driving at the end of the game trying to make yeah. it even closer. I'm, mm-hmm. I was personally terrified. Yes. I was not happy <laughs> at all. I couldn't breathe until they until that uh, that that uh, field goal was missed. Honestly. Yeah, no, that was. I don't think anything as, to worry about, but uh, that's okay. As Georgia fans, we're not used to close games anymore. Anytime it's oh within yeah, 20 well, I know. Points, it's, I know. It's... Yes, I know. My uh, my oldest son lives in Atlanta. He is married to a big Georgia fan whose in law his in laws are all huge Georgia fans. So yes, I'm very familiar with Georgia and uh, their uh, their run, especially the last couple of years. And it's not even that uh, that that far back that we're used to like the worst. If, if something really bad's going to happen, it's going to happen. Whether it's you know second or twenty six, and just all the other bad stuff that's happened, just just right. happened to bed more for lack of a better term. Uh, so it, yeah, we were just waiting for that other shoe to drop. But certainly, we're glad it didn't happen. But it was a good game. 
was a good game. Um, all right. So uh, Kentucky lost three guys to the NFL out of the backfield, uh, defensive backfield. Who steps up in place of those guys to try to maintain the strength of that defense? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, they got some young guys, like I mentioned earlier, that they feel like can step up, step up and do do a good job in the secondary. They brought in a couple of uh, uh, transfers that I think will maybe play more of a supportive role. Uh, a guy that they lost, uh, that a couple of guys they lost, I'm not sure that they thought they were going to lose, was Carrington Valentine, who decided to go on and go to the pros. I think they would thought he would stick around for one more year. Uh, then uh, I'm trying to think of the other kid's name off the top of my head, uh, who actually was suspended the year before, and uh, he, he ended up getting leaving the team. Uh, Vito Tisdale, Vito Tisdale popped into my head. Uh, they were counting on him last year, but he ended up getting suspended. And then this year he got, he left, well, he got hurt last year. I'm sorry, he tore, tore his ACL. And this year he got suspended and left the team. It's going to be kind of a committee. Jordan Lovett is a guy who really stepped up last year, filled in at safety when Tisdale got hurt and had a good year. Uh, you know, he, he should help him there. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of by committee there at the secondary. That was definitely a, definitely a, uh, 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 definitely a question mark coming into the spring. They played pretty well in the spring, but uh, I'm not sure that anybody in particular stuck out in the spring. So we'll see what happens this fall. So you already talked about a couple of these guys, but Jacquez Jones, DeAndre Square, are both now in the NFL. Um, which guys take their places and will they be able to come close to what those two guys did for the defense last year? The guy to watch at the linebacker is a Georgia kid, Tevin Wallace, who uh, has played the last two years in a supporting role. He was They thought he was one of the better recruits when they got him a couple of years ago, but he just didn't have the experience, as you mentioned, playing behind DeAndre Square and a Jacquez Jones. I think they feel like that this could be a breakout year for him. He's a really good athlete. He's got some experience now. That should help him. They've got a couple of transfer portal guys come in to bring him some depth. But Tevin Wallace is really the guy. I think they feel like he's got the potential to be an all-SEC player. This is the year that he's got to step up and play well. So he's the guy to watch a linebacker uh, in those inside linebacker spots. So the D-line seems to be the place where uh, th that uh, Kentucky was hurt at the least with how many young guys got playing time last year. Uh, is the D-line able to improve with more experience this season? Yeah, they should. I mean, uh, maybe their best defensive lineman last year was – Deion Walker, a true freshman, who was really – he's got a chance to be an, another guy who's got a really chance to be a first-team All-SEC player. Uh, big kid out of the Detroit area, uh, who I think they were even a little surprised at how he was able to make an impact so early. They lost Justin Rogers, their nose uh, tackle. He transferred to Auburn. Uh, but another big uh, big question mark on the defensive line, Octavius Oxendine, who played well two years ago, but they lost a lot of weight going into last year. They all said, told us anyway that he lost weight to make himself quicker. Uh, but then after the he did not have the season last year, he had the year before. Now he's put that weight back on. They feel like he'll be a better player next year. Well, we're not exactly sure that they told us the whole truth in saying that Oxendine lost that weight to be quicker. He may have had something else going on. We don't know. But, but they feel like that he'll be back to his form from before as you mentioned they played a lot of young guys last year besides Deion Walker some first and second year guys uh they feel like those guys will give them good depth but the two guys to watch there are definitely Deion Walker and Octavius Oxendine so I think we're going to move on to a little bit of a schedule talk um because Kentucky has a really tough schedule this year drawing Alabama out of the west I will say, luckily, that game is at home late in the season. So there's a couple non-football factors in the equation with Kentucky does get cold. It gets very cold because it still has the humidity of the South with uh, with the cold of part of the Northwest up there. Um, but MGM has the season win total set at six and a half. That personally seems low to me. But how many games do you think Kentucky wins this year? Well, I mean, and one guy, before I want to go back to your other question, uh, one guy, another guy to watch on defense is J.J. Weaver, who's a guy that they thought might go pro after the last year. He's had some injury problems, but when he's been healthy, he's been a good player at that outside linebacker kind of defensive end spot. So he's another guy to watch on defense as well. As far as the schedule, yeah, it is a, you know, it's a tough schedule. Uh, as you mentioned, they get Alabama up here late in the year. Uh, 
I too think six and a half is low. I think they can win eight or nine games, but I definitely think it's a tougher schedule. You know, they have to go to South Carolina. Shane Beamer's got things going there. They came into election to be Kentucky uh, this past year. Will Levis was hurt and didn't play in that game, but still Shane's got a lot of momentum and, and they have to go to South Carolina. You know, it's funny with all this talk about, you know, that if the SEC was going to do an eight game schedule, or were they going to do a nine game schedule in 2024? If you're going to have a, one permanent opponent or three permanent opponents and people start talking about rivalries. Uh, Kentucky's biggest rival right now is South Carolina because it seems like if they beat South Carolina, which they were able to do there for a stretch when they kind of you know made that rise up to uh, in the East, not as high as Georgia, obviously, but they could get up there to second or third. Those are the years when they beat South Carolina. Last year, they lost to South Carolina at home. They didn't have the year that they had had previously so that's obviously an important game like i mentioned vanderbilt beat them in lexington last year they have to go down to nashville uh you know they got florida they do have florida at home they do have tennessee at home i think tennessee will be good again maybe not quite as good as last year but i think tennessee will be good again you know it's a it's a you know it's a tough schedule but i think they have a, i think they definitely have the possibility of winning eight games going maybe four and four in the conference Another interesting thing with their non-conference schedule, Louisville. Louisville's been down the last two or three years. They've been able to handle Louisville fairly easy. Jeff Brom's back at the Louisville, the Purdue coach, back to his alma mater at Louisville. We were asking Mark about what do you think about Jeff Brom going to Louisville, and Mark said, I hate it. Because, one, <laughs> I like Jeff. He's a good guy. I really like him. I'm friends with him. Number two, he's a hell of a coach. So I don't really want him at Louisville. He was you know, kind of joking. but he And Jeff's brought in a ton of transfers. So I think they're going to be much better right away. So that's not – and that game is at Louisville. So that's not going to be an easy mm-hmm. game for Kentucky at the end of the year. But if they can stay healthy, if Leary is the quarterback we think he is, if Brad White can – if those receivers make uh, – you know, continue to progress, if Ray Davis can fit in there, and the offensive line obviously is a big question mark. Their question marks on defense, but you have to go by the track record of Mark Stoops and Brad White, what they've been able to do. I think the defense will will be fine. Uh, like I said, I think they have a chance. I think they have a good chance to at least go four and four in the league and win win those. Uh, and be they got a chance to be Louisville and pull out eight wins, maybe even nine. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah we were talking. Before, I'm sorry. I was about to say we were talking before before you got on here, and I was I personally think uh, eight and four, nine and three is more likely than six and six. And to me, the swing game is. Um, probably going to be South Carolina because I actually lived in Columbia at 1.2 and South Carolina, Kentucky was at that point, a budding rivalry and Kentucky beat them at South Carolina that, that year. And it was, it was a big deal. And that's one of the more, in my opinion, underrated rivalries in the sec at this point. Yeah. Cause they're both basically fighting for the same ground. They want to be up in the first division of the sec East as, as we go into the last year of these divisions, uh, you know, and uh, Shane, uh, Shane and Mark, uh, they kind of almost have a personal rivalry between the two of them. Shane spent some time at Oklahoma on the staff out there. Uh, Mark made a comment last year at SEC Media Days in an interview, which a lot of people took as a shot at Shane. Mark had to come back and say it wasn't a shot at Shane. But the other thing, too, is they've been in a lot of recruiting battles. They've kind of recruited, especially in the South, they're the same type of players. So they've had some recruiting. So there's kind of some behind-the-scenes stuff there, too, between the two schools that makes it even more of a rivalry. But basically, they're, they're it's a turf battle. They're fighting for that same spot of turf in the SEC East. They want to be up in that first division and be the – they want to be the game that when Georgia plays them, this is the game for the SEC East title. Uh, that, but uh, Kentucky – that didn't happen last year with Kentucky. That's They want to get back to that uh, this year. And to do that, they've got to be able to beat South Carolina and Columbia. Yeah, more often than not, uh, under uh, Coach Stoops, I mean, that game, that Georgia-Kentucky game has been the one that's decided the East, um, again, for the better part of, what, seven, eight At years? At least so. the last four or five years. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Like I said, not last year necessarily because that Tennessee game was it, but right. yeah, like three or four years before that definitely was like the SEC East like title game in Athens or in Lexington. Right. But um, so going a little bit in the future, uh, a few weeks back, the uh, SEC announced the uh, 2024 opponents for each team. Uh, with, with the eight-game schedule just for now, just as a placeholder until, you know, everyone gets their stuff together. But uh, how do you feel about Kentucky's 2024 uh, opponents that were announced? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were fine. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, 
they go to Texas, which is uh, be an interesting yeah. game for Kentucky. Uh, they haven't played there, I think, since the 50s. Uh, the, to me, the other interesting thing is that uh, Texas A&M has been in the league since 2012. They've never been to Lexington. They haven't played. Oh. Kentucky's only played Texas A&M one time, and that was in 2018 down at College Station. Uh, actually, actually, it was before then. It wasn't 18 uh, because Terry Wilson was still the quarterback, and uh, Kentucky lost the game in overtime. So uh, I am all for the uh, getting rid of the divisions for, from the standpoint of uh, uh, so you see more teams play. Uh, I like the idea of having, you know, over a two-year or four-year period, you play all all the teams in the SEC. I think it's eventually going to go to a nine-game schedule, uh, you know, get worked out with ESPN. I'm sure SEC wants extra money. ESPN doesn't want to pay them the oh, extra money for that ninth game. Once they get that worked out, I think it'll be a nine-game. But I thought the eight-game schedule and the teams that Kentucky got, I thought I thought it was fair. I thought it was a representative group. Uh, of course, you never know in two years how what you know where the programs are going to be. But um, I, I didn't. I, I thought it was a good good schedule for Kentucky. For you know, good schedule for the Kentucky fans for the teams that they're going to play. Yeah, just for uh, for those of you guys that are wondering uh, at home or in the car or whatever. So to Kentucky in 2024 at home, their SEC schedule is. Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina, so that game is kept, so that's good, and Vanderbilt. Away games at Florida, at Ole Miss, and Oxford, Tennessee, and Texas. So it's going to be tough. But every – every, I mean, every year is tough, but. Yeah, and it, and it saved a couple of, you know, robberies there as far as, you know, they still play Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee became such a lopsided series. It, didn't, it wasn't quite the rivalry that it was when you go way back, but because ten, Tennessee had dominated them so it, up until like the last four or five years ago. But they they kept that game, uh, and they kept, as you mentioned South Carolina. So, uh, but got a little more variety in the schedule when you're playing at Auburn. Auburn hasn't played at Kentucky for a while. Uh, they go back to Ole Miss, who they played there last year at Ole Miss, but still, uh, and no Mississippi State. That was Kentucky's permanent opponent that they had. Oh. Through the year, that was their permanent SEC West opponent uh, through year. So uh, I don't think Kentucky fans are going to complain too much about getting a break from Mississippi State right now. Yeah, I was going to ask if if there was a, a team that was left off of that that Kentucky traditionally plays that they're not going to see in twenty twenty four. If anybody was upset about it, but you you kind of I don't think they're about upset that. about it now. <laughs> no, Kentucky Mississippi State is one of the weirdest SEC rivalries. <laughs> what is it? The away team has won each of the last eight. Something crazy yeah. like that. Yeah, something like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was interesting. The last couple of years, uh, fortunately, with the, uh, you know, now the late Mike Leach, because Mike was an assistant in Kentucky under Al Mummy. He's another guy who had an Oklahoma background, worked for Mark's brother Bob after he left Kentucky. He and Mark are good friends as well. So that kind of added a little bit uh, to it over the last three years when they, when they played each other, uh, when the two got, two teams played each other. But, uh, uh, new coach and so forth. We'll see how Mississippi State does in the future. But I don't think Kentucky fans are too upset that they don't get to make that trip to Starkville. No, I. Um, our our guest last week was uh, Ole Miss alum, and he had nothing but negative things about to say to say about Starkville. So I can definitely see that. <laughs> oh, Starkville's not that bad. They get they get uh, knocked a little unfairly, but I, I wouldn't say it's a it's it's a destination that Kentucky fans you know put at the top of the list. Oh, we can't wait till we go back to Starkville. <laughs> Yeah, that's a sentence that's never been said. I can't wait to go to start. <laughs> so, you know, this isn't in the outline, but if they do move to a nine-game conference schedule and only have one permanent opponent in the SEC, which team would Kentucky fans like to be that one permanent opponent? Would they like to be that permanent? Probably Vanderbilt, because uh, <laughs> aside from last year, they played Vanderbilt, but uh, – Historic rivalry. end up being South Carolina if it's just one, only because yeah. Tennessee will end up with Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, but you know, I, I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, you know, you got Georgia there. Obviously, Florida. Uh, you would assume would be their permanent opponent every year, but you got the Georgia Auburn game, which, yeah. if I remember, uh, remember correctly, is like the oldest rivalry in the Deep South. South oldest rivalry goes back to 1896. Yep. Oh, we lost your audio, John. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Okay, yeah. I think South Carolina will end up being the permanent opponent. If they go to three, you know, if it's a, like a three, if they, it's a nine game and you got three permanent and six, they rotate the other six. 
it'd be interesting to see. I would think it'd be a good chance to might be South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt just from a geographical standpoint. But I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle they're going to have to fit together to get all this stuff straight out. All I know is Kentucky is thrilled it's an eight-game schedule, at least for 2024. Mitch Barnhart might have been the, the UK athletic director, might have been the uh, the leader of the parade for eight games. He lobbied very hard to keep it at eight games. Part of the reason for that is they want the four non-conference games. They haven't scheduled. Uh, they play Louisville, which meets that Power Five criteria that Greg Sankey wants you to play another Power Five team. But the other three teams have not been. You know, they're they're not out there playing. You know, Clemson or uh, you know teams like Kansas State or teams like that. Even though sometimes the fans yell for that, it's been pretty much MAC teams or Sun Belt teams. So uh, even some FCS, they play Eastern Kentucky again this year. Uh, which, uh, uh, but they they want those three. Uh, you know, guarantee games uh, to go along with the Louisville game, to go with eight games. So uh, I'm sure after 2024, Mitch is going to be right back down there in Destin, or next year be right back there in Destin, pulling on Greg Sankey's uh, uh, coat sleeve saying, we need eight games, keep it at eight games. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, so we were actually talking about this um, before we started recording earlier. Ball State has a ridiculous schedule this year. Week one at Kentucky, week two at Georgia, week three is Georgia Southern, and then they get into conference play. Like they, <laughs> Ball State did themselves no favors with their opponents this year. No. <laughs> they make a lot of money though, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The big yeah. question is Kentucky is scheduled, they have the contract to go to Akron in, uh, I think it is next, not this year, but next year. They've had a couple of those where they were supposed to go to Eastern Michigan. And then they bought their way out of the contract. So oh. we'll see. They have a two-for-one deal with Akron. So yeah. I will be surprised if we end up covering a game at Akron, but you but you never know. We'll see. What it'd be a short what? trip. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 possessed the uh, athletic director to do that? Like what, what would be the benefit of going to Akron just for recruiting? Just, that, yeah, well, they, that is part of it. I mean, Mark Stoops is from the Youngstown, is from Youngstown. They recruit oh, yeah. a lot of players out of Ohio. So yeah, it was that was kind of the same thing with Eastern Michigan when they had a game set up where they were going to go to Eastern Michigan. They were more and more going into Michigan to try to recruit, but like I said, they ended up buying their way out of that game. We kind of expect the same thing will happen to Akron. If it doesn't, it'll be because of that that they do recruit heavily in Ohio and around that area. They got a, they've had a ton of players over the years from Youngstown, Mark's hometown. They get a ton of players out of the Cincinnati area, you know, just across the river. Uh, so, uh, yeah, for recruiting purposes, I think would be why they would go to Akron. Just, just for, for y'all's sake, covering the game, I'm, I, I really do hope that you get out of the Eastern Michigan game or at least going to Ypsilanti. Uh, for one, I, I, I'm from the Detroit area originally, okay. and uh, I try to avoid going to Ypsilanti uh, most of the time. Uh, and the school, it, the stadium is basically a high school stadium. It, I mean, it, Kentucky's, Kentucky's way better than that. They, they deserve better than that. So, um, yeah, so I hope I hope y'all can, are able to get out of that one. Um, so, all right, so um, go ahead, Mike. Oh, sorry. All right, so no, go ahead. the uh, what's that? Go ahead. Okay. All right, so uh, Coach Stoops is the greatest Kentucky football coach not named Bear Bryant. Uh, he's obviously raised the floor considerably for uh, Kentucky football, winning double-digit games in two of the uh, you know last few seasons here and coming close to a couple more years. With that said. What is Coach Stoops' like approval rating? Is there any sentiment that he's brought the program as far as he can? Is there any is there any you know, smoke coming from that? Is if you know proverbial hot seat, so to speak? Not that he's on it, but you know, are uh, is there any sentiment at all? Maybe like hey, maybe you know he's been here, he's been there ten years or so, right? Right. So yeah, two thousand thirteen. Okay, so is 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 there any? Is there any sentiment amongst the fan base that, okay, maybe he's brought us as far as we can go and we need to look somewhere else? Well, I mean, no, I mean, no, that, no, I don't think there's any sentiment at all about that. I think Mark is not anywhere close to being on a hot seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are people who wonder because they know it's tough. Can he take, be able to take that next step? Can he, yeah. could he get them to Atlanta for a championship game, especially in, you know, uh, a tough, in such a tough conference, but no, he's done a tremendous job. I think, yeah, I've used this line a bunch, but a friend of mine, uh, said to me, and I think it's so true, you really have to be a longtime Kentucky football fan to appreciate the job that he's done because he's really built it up from the foundation year by year. Their facilities are much better. They have a, a football training center. They spend a 
ton of money on that's three or four years old now. They did they renovated uh, Kroger Field as I mentioned. They put the new turf in uh, this year this spring. Uh, you know they they've been to, I think seven straight bowl games or whatever it is. Of course, I know there are more bowl games now. It's a little easier to get in now than back you know years ago. But still, overall, I think he's done a really good job. The big question is you're in the same conference, you're in the same division with Georgia, Tennessee, Florida. They've been able to take advantage of Tennessee and Florida dropping off, but obviously Tennessee's on the way back up. Who knows what's going to happen with Florida? And now you go to a stand. Now after this season, you go to where you're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma into the league, and you're no longer having divisions. So how you know how is he going to be able to continue to improve and grow the program? Uh, much less you know try to stay, try to keep that you know where he is right now as far as being able to win seven, eight, maybe even a couple of years there he's been able to win ten games with bowl victories. So, um, you know, I, but no, he's nowhere near the hot seat. Uh, but I do think there are questions and, you know, they're, they're next, you know, a lot of people say it's one thing to get to go from bad to good. It's a lot different to go from good to great. And can he get Kentucky to get that? Can he, can he bring Kentucky up to that next step up to that next level? We'll see. Yeah. Like what made me kind of think of that was, you know, in uh, 2016 when Kirby was hired or like his first season, you know, Mark Rick, obviously, I mean, he won a couple of SEC championships and got, you know, Georgia to like the cusp uh, several times of, you know, playing for, you know, the big prize 2012, especially, but 2008, 2007, all that. But, you know, it took that, you know, he brought, he raised Georgia's floor considerably to where like they, you know, a lot of Georgia fans felt like we should be in the uh, national title conversation and, and, you know, the athletic director made that difficult choice to get rid of Mark Rick. He was well-liked amongst, you know, the fan base for the most part and going on to Kirby. So I was just curious as to whether or not there was any kind of line of thinking um, similar to what we did, uh, what, seven or eight years ago. No, I don't think so. And I think, well, you know, history and tradition has a lot to do with that. I mean, Georgia's got a great tradition under Vince Dooley and what their expectations are. Kentucky's expectations are big, you know, when Mark got here, you know, Rich Brooks did a really good job when he was here setting a foundation, but he couldn't quite make that next step to get up. And I think Rich kind of got frustrated with that. He wasn't able to get the facility upgrades that he wanted at that time. So he retired. Joker Phillips came in and that didn't turn out, that didn't work at all. He was only here for three years. Then they brought Mark in. So Mark had to bring it, build it back up. And it took a lot of work to do that. But the expectations are different. I mean, especially early on, just get us to a bowl game, get us seven or eight wins, make us competitive. Now, I am not one person who says that, oh, that's going to last forever because it doesn't last forever. You know, you raise expectations and people get greedy. They want to win more. I mean, that's the whole nature of the game. But I don't think they're to that point yet with Mark that, hey, he got us, you know, he got us to one level, but he'll never get us to the next level. I don't think people feel like that at all. Good. That's good. So the last question that we've got down here is a little bit of the uh, Kentucky drama that went on last summer um, <laughs> when Coach Cal made a comment that Kentucky is a basketball school, which traditionally it more or less has been. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Mark Stoops seemed to get very upset at that comment. Is Not the so. relation... Is the relationship strained or has it improved any over the last year? Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, yeah, John made that comment. He was actually down at the Bahamas. He was, uh, Kentucky was playing some exhibition games down there. He was campaigning for a new basketball practice facility. And he made the comment that, you know, we need, you know, Kentucky, hey, we're about, we need the top, we need the best facilities in college basketball. We're the gold standard of college basketball. We need some upgrades in our uh, program. And he wanted a new practice facility. And he made the comment, hey, you know, no disrespect to football. Of course, whenever anybody says no disrespect, <laughs> you know, they're going to. It's about to be a disrespectful comment. <laughs> right. So he said, you know, no disrespect to football, but Kentucky's a basketball school. Mark, obviously, he took umbrage to that, fired off a tweet right away saying basketball school. I thought we played in the SEC, being that SEC was a football conference. So uh, they were supposed to meet and talk it out, hug it out. We never really got that they did that, that they actually, you know, they kind of kind of brushed it off after that. Everything's fine. We're fine. Although Mark didn't back down. We had a press conference with Mark shortly after that. We thought it was also Mark would say, you know, I've talked to John. It's all been smoothed over. We we didn't get that. Mark basically doubled down on his comment. So and Mitch Barnard kind of tried to play peacemaker between the two. So I don't think that they're, you know, we don't see him at a lot of events together. Uh, but, you know, 
the one thing here is that this has been going, this has gone on, I, and I'm sure it goes on at other schools. It's gone on behind the scenes for years. Frank Kersey, when he was the coach back in the 70s and 80s, he complained behind the scenes about basketball, all the attention. Well, he didn't complain behind the scenes. Sometimes he complained on the record about all the attention that basketball received. Sometimes you've heard the basketball coaches off the record complain about, oh, you know, they're trying to build football up and attention. We need it, to, you know, behind the scenes. We need that money, too, which is kind of what Cal did last year. So it just kind of spilled out into the open. You've got two competitive guys who want to do the best for their program, who both want to win. So they kind of knocked heads there. But as far as uh, kissing and makeup, we haven't seen a whole lot of evidence of that because we haven't really seen them together a whole lot. So it's hard to know exactly what their relationship is. I think right now it's more John does his thing, Mark does his thing, and they just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I think uh, so, I think right after that came out, uh, I think Auburn I put out a picture with like Ryan Harson and uh, uh, Bruce Pearl like shaking hands or like hugging <laughs> each other like this right afterward, and I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, um, the interesting the interesting thing and that is you know, after John made that comment and Mark did the pushback, Kentucky you know the football team did not have the season they were hoping to have. They ended up seven and six. Basketball knocked got knocked out. I think they finished third in the SEC and got knocked out in the second. Got knocked out in the SEC tournament, got knocked out in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Meanwhile, baseball made it to the Super Regional. So some people, Kentucky might be a baseball school this year. <laughs> They've got a national championship in volleyball. I know nobody cares about rifle, but they got like three or four national championships in rifle. Their track team, I think, finished third nationally. So uh, uh, Kentucky might be a volleyball school or a baseball school this past year than it was a basketball or football school. So I do have one last question for you. It's not in the outline, uh -oh. but I talked about it before <laughs> you got on. Um, Kentucky is the home of America's distilled spirit being bourbon. I am a huge bourbon guy. I've got <laughs> an absurd amount of whiskey on my shelf in the kitchen. What is your favorite bourbon if you drink? <laughs> you know, I'm not a huge bourbon guy, but if I, when I do on it, if I if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Maker's Mark. But there's a yeah. ton of, as you mentioned, there's the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky, which is a very popular tourist attraction. There are plenty of fine bourbons. It seems like there are more all the time in Kentucky. Stoops even has his own bourbon, uh, the a bourbon brand that he has out there. Uh, so it was funny, Mark, last summer, they had a, like a business conference in Lexington and Mark was a part of that. And, uh, for some reason they picked me to be the moderator with Mark's discussion. And, uh, after we, after the thing was over, Mark was telling me the night before he had been down at Pikeville, uh, down in your neck of the woods. And I said, were you down there recruiting? He said, no, I was down there promoting my bourbon. I didn't get back to late <laughs> last night. So he's got that, he's got that on his plate as well. But if I had to pick one, I would pick the old traditional Right out of Bardstown, the uh, Maker's Mark. Yeah, one. I'm actually over here. Yeah, drinking. what's your favorite? What's your favorite? You're much more uh, more of an expert than I am. So my, if I had to pick one bottle to drink for the rest of my life, it'd probably be Wild Turkey Rare Breed. Really? They're barrel proof. I love everything that comes out of Wild Turkey, but for the Kentucky specific episode. I have a bottle of uh, Booker's because Booker No played at Kentucky under Bear Bryant, and this is the okay. pigskin batch. So okay. there you go. tying it all together, I, you know, I wanted to uh, to have a drink to for the Kentucky episode. You know, in our on our website on Kentucky.com, of course, we have metrics, you know, about what people read and so forth. Obviously, Kentucky basketball is way up there. Anything to do with Kentucky recruiting is way up there. Kentucky football is up there. But the other the other subject that is up there a lot is, is all the time is bourbon. Our bourbon reporter, Janet Patton, she is always way up there in page views. It's amazing how much uh, how much interest there is in bourbon and how popular it is now. I've been trying to convince my wife for years to do an away game at Kentucky but take the whole week to just go to distilleries. There you go. It, it's I have very, I've done successful. a couple of those cruises. It's very interesting. It's really, it really is. I I love it. She hates the smell, which I feel like is a big reason we haven't done it. But <laughs> but I like it's the smell of the mash that she doesn't like. Uh -huh. But every year when Georgia goes to Kentucky, I I start in May. 
trying to get her to go to that game. I'm like, oh, babe, look, it's in November. It'll be cold. You love the cold. We can go for a whole <laughs> week and stay up there. There's mountains. Okay. There's rivers. It's beautiful. She, it go. hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. There you go. You got to get you got to get her to give in. You got to get her to do it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about before we get out of here tonight? Tell me who the Georgia quarterback is going to be. Carson Beck. Yeah, I, I think pretty much uh, George, I think the entire Georgia fan base is on board with that, especially after the spring game, which is really saying something because we can't agree on anything. <laughs> And Carson Beck is the I mean, one thing the I think fan we base all, was mad yeah. that Stetson came back last season. Yeah, yeah, really, hundred percent honest with that. <laughs> no, okay, I, well, good. I'm I glad was, it decided. I was big on uh, on Brock Vandegrift before the spring game, mm-hmm. but then I I understand it's just a spring game. It's all overreactions, mm-hmm. but the difference in accuracy and pocket presence that was I was sold. Yeah, by the end of the first quarter, I was sold. Well, good. That's good. I'll, I'll report back to my uh, Georgia in-laws that it's been decided. Yeah, it would be it, it would be think. shocking. My son's in-laws, I should say. Yeah, it, it would be shocking if it wasn't Carson. I think even even I think before the spring game, I think three different quarter uh, three different Georgia quarterbacks throughout the different uh, sports books were listed in the preseason Heisman favorites. Like not all in the same ones necessarily, but. You know, between Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegriff and uh, and Carson Beck, they were all in there somewhere. Kind of longer odds, but they were listed nonetheless. But uh, we we really want to thank you for coming on and talking to us. I know I learned a lot. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure our listeners will as well once this gets out there. Um, but if um, if anybody else wants to read John's stuff or listen to anything, it's all on Kentucky.com, correct? That's correct. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, John Clay IV. Uh, if Twitter is still in business by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and you can check me out on Kentucky.com uh, or if anybody's close, because I you, we still do put out a print edition of the Lectionary Leader, but uh, most of my readership, it seems like, uh, especially in places like Georgia and other places with Kentucky fans, is that you find us at Kentucky.com. All right. Um, once again, I really just want to thank you. Can't thank you enough for coming on and spending the time to talk to us. Um, but we've got to do our normal closing stuff because as much as I am prepared, I didn't, I don't have it pre-recorded. Um, so if you want to get out of here, you can, or if you want to listen okay. to the last just couple of minutes, I mean, it's going to be like a minute or two. You can do that as well. Um I'll but thank you again. again. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you, John. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Going through all the same stuff as we do every week. Like I said, I am you know not organized or prepared enough to have this pre-recorded. The Instagram is at nothing.finer.pod. Twitter is at finerpod. Just search us on Facebook and YouTube. I feel like I'm missing something, but I can't remember it. Did you say Twitter? I think you did. Yes, Twitter. I have we are there's a getting... whole fireworks show going on behind me, so I missed some of it. <laughs> We're getting more active on Twitter, thanks to Mike. Um, so follow us there. Make sure to keep up with that. But as always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land. Than a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.